Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to episode 168 of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop, and I'm here with my co-host, Diami Plutke of the Penultimate Woodshop. Hello, Sean. Hi. You know what? What We're going to talk. I I want to say what we're going to talk about um, because I like what I wrote. We're going to talk about fitting our shop in our shop. (laughs) And how how, how on earth do we do that? I guess we'll We'll, find out. We'll talk about that in a second. So, Diami. Yeah, sure. You're, ex- you're excited. What's up? Um, <laughs> I think you've <laughs> oversold my excitement there, Sean. Oh, maybe. maybe. Um, well, I just got uh, the nice people over at in uh, Affinity Toolworks, A-Affinity Toolworks, uh, were nice enough to send me a couple of the new Bora Portimate parallel clamps. Um, and they are much like the traditional parallel clamps that are out there. I don't know why I said traditional because they're really, they don't innovate per se. They're just another nice parallel clamp. Um, they seem to be most similar to the Bessie, uh, the Revo K bodies, which themselves are a very nice clamp. I have the, in the shop, I have the Jorgensen's, the Jets, and the Bessie original K bodies and the Revos, and now the Boras. Um, I've not yet tried them out. Their fit and finish seems to be pretty nice. They seem to be fairly cost effective. And if they are, in fact, similar to the Bessie Revo, uh, the Bessie Revo is a wonderful clamp. Um, I was actually very impressed with them. They're, they're much, much better than the original Bessie K bodies. So I'm very optimistic to try the, uh, the Bora Portimate clamps. And they were nice enough to send me them in 12 inch size, which is the size that I was lacking and use most often in the shop. So, as soon as I get this entertainment center out of the way, I'm sure they will see lots and lots of use, and I will certainly report back once I get them through a bunch of uh, a bunch of projects. But so far, they seem to be very nice. Yeah, you'll have to let us know. I, are you going to put them through uh, Andrew Klein level testing no. of parallelity and uh, uh, squeeze force and? No, I thought you were going to say, am I going to put them to a test? In which case I was going to say, not really. I'm just going to use them. And I'm familiar enough with all the other ones that I already own because I tend to use parallel clamps for most of my glue ups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I can offer a relatively g- good opinion of their performance just by using them as opposed to rigorous testing. But am I going to perform anti-decline level testing? I mm-hmm. assuredly, I will not. <laughs> Um, I, 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 leave, I wish Andy the, the best and I am consistently impressed by the level of work he goes through on all of his projects and testing. Uh, and I will not be providing that level of detail. Honesty is a good policy. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. I love those guys at affinity tool. They're good people that, that they are. And and so, how long do we know how long Bora has been making clamps? I believe they're new to the market in terms of clamps. Okay. Bora is and, a is a you know oh I couldn't tell you how old the company is, but Bora is a is a well known brand. Yes, um, but I believe they just got into making parallel clamps. Yeah, seems like a likely thing. They had the their well their uh, port. What the heck is their their, their portamate? Right, that's their major claim to fame. Yes. And it's got that hella clamp on the end of it. So they know a thing about squeezing things. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Not bad. Oh, and they have that cube thing too. Yes, I I have the uh yeah. the porta cube is what it's called. Yeah. Um, and I think we've talked about that before on the show. Mm-hmm. If you're one of these people who turns a garage into a shop and vice versa, I think it's probably phenomenal. Um it folds up to be about the size of a washing machine, maybe a dishwasher. But even folded up there's a flat bench top surface on it that's great. Like right now, mine is draped in a plastic garbage bag so I don't get epoxy on it. And all my epoxy stuff for the entertainment center is spread across it, mixing buckets and a box of silica and all the other stuff for the epoxy is right on it. Um, but then you wheel it where you want. The miter saw, the top of it rotates like a like a split, like a rotating bench. So that brings the miter saw up to the top. The arms fold up. The level on the arms pops up to match the deck of the miter saw and turns into a really nice miter saw workstation. Um, it's a little big for guys who have to bring it in and out of a truck all the time. And mm-hmm. it's not quite as nice as a miter saw that's just permanently mounted. But if you wanted your miter saw to move around the shop um, or to double as a, a small little workspace, I think it's a very... It's a very nice product for what it is. It doesn't fit every use case, but if it does fit your use case, it's going to fit it very well. Not bad. Yeah. Pretty cool. I um, I don't have anything cool to talk about. Well, I have actually another <laughs> thing I want to talk about that is, what's, I think, what's that? very cool. It's not quite woodworking related, but it was uh, it was an item that I had had wanted. I thought it was rather expensive for what it is, so I asked for it for Christmas. Aha. Uh, it is the Milwaukee M18 Power Source. And okay. what it is, is it's a little piece that snaps onto a Milwaukee 18-volt battery and provides USB power. They're uh, modern batteries. Right? They're modern, Not, yeah. The, the yeah. current uh, lithium or red lithium or whatever the hell they call them, 18-volt batteries. Um, so... I say it was expensive because it's $35 and the equivalent Makita one is about 18 and there's mm. really not much to this. It just, it's a piece of plastic that snaps on the top of the battery, a switch and a USB port. I can't believe it cost them more than a few dollars to make this. Um, yeah. So $35 seems like a lot. That being said, I, most of my 18 volt tools are uh, Milwaukee um, and I certainly have the most Milwaukee 18-volt batteries anywhere from 3 amp hours all the way up to 9 amp hours. Um, and the fact that now I can use those batteries to charge things and power things, I personally found very convenient. In the shop, is it that helpful? Not really. I mean, it lets – I have a re-camera, which will broadcast live to YouTube. I've probably used it once. Uh, it's not a, something I really do, but I could now power that wirelessly. That would be kind of nice. Um, in the shop, I have used it to charge my my phone, and I've got about six, maybe seven phone charges off a battery that I was not dead yet, but it was close to dead, and I just put it in the charger because I need it to be full. Mm-hmm. Um, so for things like that, it's really convenient. Frankly, the reason I bought it is because I go camping, and I have like power blocks that I typically bring camping to plug my phone in at night and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I bring, I have a Milwaukee 18 volt LED light that I bring camping cause it's very bright. And with the eight, 
with the 18 volt battery, it'll last the two nights we go camping, no problem. Um, so I typically bring that camping. So I figured I've already got the battery. It's got plenty of juice in the battery. Why not also use it to charge my phone and just have it as an extra power supply? So that that's why I got it. Um, and from since I'm already set up in that system, it works very well for me. If you don't have a bunch of Milwaukee 18 volt batteries sitting around, it's not going to be helpful. Um, right. But as I was already in, invested in that system, $35 versus 18, you know what? It, it was what it was. As while I think it was overpriced, it wasn't like I broke the bank to get it, especially since it was a Christmas present. Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah, thirty five dollars. That's that's not terrible, actually. A decent, a decent power brick, portable power source. Well, it's thirty five dollars for that. Plus, you know, if you want to buy a battery on its own, the batteries are anywhere from eighty to two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, but if you've got if you've got a handful of those tools already, and again, it's it's good for the guy that already has that. Yeah, you know, that's fine. My dad's the same thing. He's got that bag of. Well, actually, does it have to be 18 volt or does it plug into any of those? No, they make one um, that they're – they make one that they sell at Home Depot that plugs into the 12 volts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one at Home Depot, they want like 40 bucks for But I believe the 12 volt one will provide USB power off a 12 volt battery, but it will also allow you to charge a 12 volt battery, I think. Don't, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what it does. Um, this I cannot char- – can I – no, I don't think I can charge the 18-volt battery from this. I think it only pulls juice out of the 18-volt battery. Okay. But I, I'm already taking 18-volt batteries camping because I've got the light that uses the 18 volts, not the 12 volts. And the 18-volt batteries carry so much more juice than the 12-volt battery. Um, the 12-volt one, if I didn't already own, like, battery power packs for my phones, the 12-volt might be nice because it's kind of small and, and can be portable. But the the battery power packs I have are already... 10,000 and 12,000 amp hours. I'm getting three, four phone charges out of them already. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, for my case, the little 12 volt one didn't seem to make sense. I thought the 18 volt one made more sense. Yeah. Um, my, my dad has, they, they, at one point they bought a, they had a bigger than 18 volt battery. They had a 36. I That's think. what I think. So he has those cause he got the bag with the sawzall circular saw drill impact driver. Mm-hmm. And light is that the old like the, where the front of the battery is kind of uh, pointy? No, I don't think it's pointy, but I know it is reversible. Oh. So it has a different it has a different engagement, but I know you can slide it backwards or forwards. And for like drilling purpose, you can actually change the offset of the weight of it because of that. Oh, okay, that's which that's is actually kind of it's interesting. Um, and that may be only the drill interface on it that it, it allows it to slide right. Th- through it, it'll engage, and then you can pull it back out and put it in the other way. Um, but anyway, I, I just wondered if it worked for that too, but probably not. Yeah, probably. I don't there's, think there's I don't plenty. think it would. But any any of those, I mean, you know, if you've got a Milwaukee tool, if you get the drill, you got one. If you get a kit, you're going to get two. You know, exactly. So if you've got the Milwaukee, get the Milwaukee one. I believe DeWalt makes them. I think they're the kind of thing you got to find on Amazon as opposed to a big box store. But I believe at least I know Milwaukee and Makita do them. I think DeWalt does. Any of the bigger brands, I suspect, will have them. It's just – it's a handy little thing. Yeah. I, I for Christmas, got um, a, a pair of 18-volt Bosch uh, oh, impact cool. and drill. And they've got a new battery that doesn't interface with any of my old batteries. <laughs> um, but I wonder if it works for that because it's, it's that style. It's a really slim style um, 
and the charger. I mean, it's a typical charger. It's just it's a real ramp that it slides into, similar to what Milwaukee's is nowadays. Um, right. Yeah, that'd be cool to look into because I mean, as a drill, I was using it and it it lasted, you know, way better than the old twelve volt did. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty cool. So anyway, so we're going to talk about how we shit we fit our shop in the shop. Oh wait, yes. before we before we do that, well, we yeah, gotta, before we do, let's talk about places we can buy more stuff for the shop. Yes, we can't we can't go too long because they've already started. Uh, we've got to mention the woodworking shows. Um, that that the touring woodworking show, I guess, is it's the only one that does that, right? It is Nowadays. the only one that. Yes, excuse me. It's the only one that tours around, and it is it is the only one with the technical formal name of the woodworking shows. Right. They, they're sitting on that one and using it well. Um, but yeah, they're they're out and about. Um, as you record this, the first shows of the year have, have happened. Um, but there's there's more coming. Um, the Columbus show uh, is at the end of January. And as we're recording this, it's probably already happened. But um, uh, Or as you're listening to this, it's probably already happened. Uh, <laughs> and that's the closest to me, and I won't be able to go, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to report on that. But um, it's hitting Tampa like it normally does, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City, New Jersey, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and I think new. I don't know if I've seen this one before. They're going to Chantilly uh, in March. So if you get the chance and if it's in your area, and for me – if I didn't have other stuff, I've taken the two hour drive to go to the show and it was worth it. Um, in the last couple of years, it has been a very good experience. Yeah, it so, definitely has. Um, go, and go. do us a favor. If you do go to the show when it's near you, go harass Chuck Bender. Yeah. Is he still going around with him? I was just going to look into that. He is going around with him this year. I don't know if he's going to all of them, but I believe he is. Do they list? Okay, all the people that are there, you know, typical. Actually, it's good to see, and it wasn't, they, they weren't there for the longest time, but Lee Valley is now with them. And I don't know if they're at all locations, but they come to some. I've, I've seen Lee Valley there before, and I've talked to Vic. And, yes. And uh, when they, they're going to a different venue in New Jersey this year, so maybe it'll be different. But when they would come to New Jersey... All the tools at the Lee Valley booth had to be behind glass because it was the <laughs> event that that mo- had the most stuff stolen from. Oh, that's terrible. Hmm. I just know that it was uh, three, maybe four years ago that I was down in the Columbus show and they weren't there. Oh. That was the year that like Andy Chidwick first got involved with it. Um, okay. And I miss Andy being there. Yeah. So Chuck Chuck was there, um, and because he was he was teaching a little symposium i don't know what he was doing but um on on ball ball and claw feet um but so that was like the first time because i had gone to a few of them over the years and it changed hands and and improved and i we've talked about this before but um but i i know lee valley wasn't there lee valley for the longest time my only experience to see any of their stuff firsthand was when woodworking in america had them so it's good to see them getting out and around um but yeah, I, I don't know that presenters are on their on their their page for the Ohio show. I'd like to know. If it would make sense that Chuck would go to that one. I think it's the closest to his house. But yeah. anyway, yeah, woodworking shows. Go. 
maybe learn something. Definitely shop something. It, as we say to at any sh- any show that has a marketplace, the benefit of getting hands on with this stuff oh, it's is, tremendous. is super beneficial. Just you know, if you've ever been on the fence, if you get to use it. Especially with something like Lee Valley in the United States, they don't have any brick and mortar stores. So yeah, why, and, and oh, by the way, Vic, why not? <laughs> I bet there's a really good reason. I, it, I'm sorry, there's a reason. It's not a really good reason. <laughs> and nobody's nobody. They don't have any resellers, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. I mean, it's uh. well, they have a, like I know magazine catalogs that carry them. I guess I don't know if they. Uh, if there are any brick and mortar stores that carry them, yeah, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's they ship at sometimes free from Canada, so you just gotta catch them on their deals to shop with them. It's just getting getting hands on with the stuff is is a uh, hard to do at times. And some of their, I mean, I know they they bring a similar spread that than I've seen at at wood shows at pop pop or uh, woodworking in America. Um, you know, so that's really a chance. I mean. You know, you you know what you know a saw or a hand plane looks like, but everybody's is a little different as far as modern manufacturing goes. And they've got some innovative stuff, and they brought a new plow plane. That, you know, recently, check that out. And it's those are the kinds of things where you want to just get them in your hands and try them before you sink a couple hundred dollars into one. Absolutely. And it well, it's also a good sales tactic because when you're touching them, <laughs> you're you're probably more apt to buy them anyway. So it's true, a, but but you know what you. That. Ultimately, you would have bought a plane anyway. You might as well buy one that you like because you could pick it up and say, you know what? This doesn't work in my hands. It's too big. It's too small. I don't like the weight, whatever it happens to be. Um, that's something you want to know before you buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. If if you can go, go. If you see Vic, harass. Exactly. That's, and you know what? You might want to tell Vic that uh, Chuck was saying stuff about him and tell Chuck that Vic was saying stuff about him and <laughs> see where you can get going. <laughs> Just sit back with popcorn and watch. Watch it all unfold. So, as previously stated, I guess this may not be a, a uh, instructional conversation, but how do you fit uh, your shop? Be informative. Shop? I mean, informative, maybe. Yeah. Um. So, in in thinking about this, I I remembered back to when we first moved in, um, and where my shop sits now. There was, as is common in an elderly person's home, and that may be. That might not be the right way to put it, but there was a little workbench down here. And it was the typical, I grew up in the 30s, workbench. It was two by fours, a two by six on top. <laughs> That's really mean, but it's true. A two by six as like a stretcher on top or on the on the flat as the workbench surface? Yeah, uh, on the flat as okay. they were like planked over the top. Okay, so um, it was a Nicholson. <laughs> maybe. Um, it, but it was it was all handmade. Uh-huh. Um, and you could tell it was construction lumber of the era because when I tore it apart, um, the 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 growth lines on the pine studs were so tight and straight. It was construction lumber was a totally different thing. Yes, it was. 60, 70 years ago. It was beautiful. Anyway, so I but the, one of the first things I did is I I tore that down and I built a a cabinet to replace it, mm-hmm. just with a plywood carcass. And two layers of plywood on top and a piece of hardwood on top. Just, it's a bit of a bench. It's a bit of a countertop, but it also has four drawers in the middle and two cabinets on the sides. Um, with the expressed purpose of organizing stuff as I got it. Um, since then, 
I have exposed myself as a terrible organizer. <laughs> and I have a shelving, a metal shelving unit over there that has all my, uh, on one shelf I've got the glues and tape and uh, propane and epoxy. Those are very close to each other for good reason. Not really. Uh, and then below that is all the finishes, whether it be paint or I see shellac and other stuff there and thinners. That's all on another shelf over there. Um, and then across the way, I've got like closet style wire shelving Okay. that I, I screwed into the wall, into the block wall. And that's I've got like magazines that I actually oh. have up in dividers. Um, you know what that got, shelving is great for? What? A lumber rack. Yeah, I guess it would be. You don't have to sticker the bottom board. That's what yeah, I use as my lumber rack. So you got them on 16 on centers? You got them right down the studs? and um, I have them probably, yeah, probably about 16. I don't have them on, st- on studs. Um, mm. I have two by threes screwed into the wall, and then they're on that, and it kind of hangs down from the ceiling but because um, they, they span a window and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, but, but yeah, I have... I have two of them with the wire shelves, and the top one doesn't even have the wire shelf. It just has the little arm brackets. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being three shelves for my lumber storage above my miter saw. Um, oh, nice. I, I love them because you don't have to worry about the bottom. It just it breathes just fine. Yep. Yeah, that's, you'd only have to sticker it if you were multi-leveling it. Yeah. That'd be the only case. Yeah, that's actually not a, not a bad idea. This is just one, like, barely three-foot-wide section of it. Okay. And But I've got, like, various stuff. I've got... I've got small wood up there. I've got some white oak and that's cut down. Um, a big old bull blank that's sticking up there on the shelf. And um, some calls and F-style clamps are hanging on the side. And my braces, my my hand drilling braces, mm-hmm. are hung on there. My my bow saw is hung on there. So it's kind of a like middle, you know, middle ground. I didn't intend for this, but I'm totally doing a tour of my shop audibly. No, that's fine. Um, coming around the bend from there, I do have one stud wall that's only four foot long that is basically stopping the laundry chute from falling into my shop. You have a laundry chute? Yeah, in the bathroom. That's cool. Yeah, it's just a hole in the wall in the bathroom. And the, 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 the idea is cool. The fact that that hole is central north of my house and the laundry is in the southwest corner of the house. So it's not like it drops it next to the dryer or hey. next to the washer. It just drops it down into the basement. But it saves you from walking down the stairs with dirty laundry. Yeah. You need with a, a dumb way to bring the laundry back up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what my wife calls me. Um, <laughs> but I, I have a, uh, a very simple uh, kind of a L, L-style um, clamp rack with all my parallel clamps in and i've got a you say small style there's a board okay. of the wall there's a board yes. you know running horizontally on the wall but it's it's long it's wide face is is vertical and then another mm-hmm. board that's running horizontal on the wall with a wide face horizontal to make an l yes okay. yes yep and i think i just have one i forget about, i didn't i didn't do any brackets to hold up that top piece but i have a i have a, a rectangular board roughly looks like it's barely a one by one um, that is in between those two that I know I screwed into both sides of it just to help reinforce that joint, knowing that things are going to be hanging on the top of it. 
but I just cut little channels for the bars of the of the parallel clamps. Okay. And I've just got those hung there. Um, I I've made but never mounted a saw. Is it a saw till? A saw till. Yes. Yeah. So it's a cabinet about three feet high, all made out of simple pine boards, all done hand joinery. You know how I do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my understanding, I I I don't have a saw till, but. I don't believe you're allowed to make them with power tools. You have to. Do I don't think so. Hand, don't yeah, you? you've got to cut. Use the tools that's going that it will hold to make the thing itself. Um, but that actually just sits on the floor. I've never. <laughs> um, it's great. <laughs> but no, it's not. It's it, great when it's hanging it's on not, the wall. It needs to be hung on the wall. So yeah, the, actually, I, I kind of want to remake it. But um, and otherwise, the the floor of my space, I have. Instead of a rack of wood, I have a leaning pile of wood against the wall where okay. it's it's ash offcuts, it's maple and, and walnut, and there's some oak in there. I've got some thick red oak for some reason, but it literally just leans in the corner. And that is like – that is the canonical corner because you were literally positioned in one corner of your basement, right? So yes. Yeah, so it's the corner of the corner of the basement. Gotcha. So yeah. it sounds like you have a relatively small space and it's kind of full, but it's not like overflowing with stuff. You have a, a moderate amount of stuff in a small space. Yes, and it's be, I, somewhat because of my space that I've chosen to work in, as you've criticized my choice <laughs> previously, um, that – it, it It is the reason I don't get bigger things. I do have a lathe. It's underneath my bench top on the floor. It doesn't have a permanent house. It doesn't have a permanent desk. How to big sit a on. lathe is it? It's a just a, uh, what is it? A 10 by 14. It's the small, not the smallest lathe that Jet makes, but a, the small form lathe. It can do 14 inch between t- tip to tip. At that size, and, I don't know my lathe that well. Is that a MIDI? I, I think it's bigger than a MIDI. Okay. I think. Um, I No, I can't do a baseball bat on it, but I could do spindles. Okay. Uh, up to 14 inches long. So maybe chair back spindles, but not railing spindles. Gotcha. So there's, you know, something. It's, it, yeah, maybe it is the MIDI. MIDI, mini, small, whatever. But anyway, it's it's small enough that I can lift it without too much fuss. Okay. So when I use it, I pick it up and I put it down and I clamp it to the bench top. Okay. But it is a jet cast iron base. I mean, the thing is stout in its form. Mm-hmm. It's just not the biggest thing in the world. So, but yeah, that like I, that's like the biggest standalone thing that I have down here and it stays underneath where it's out of the way. Just because if I were to put it up on something, I would just take away some biggish space that is kind of premium. I would push the PlayStation out of the way and put it next to the TV. Well, that yeah, that would that's over there. If Rebecca There's... DeGroot has one in her living room, I think you could have <laughs> one in the video game room. Yeah, that's true. There's a there's a couch and a carpet remnant and in the way among my old guitar and other stuff. You could start an entire YouTube channel of turning while sitting on the couch. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you you, you were in in a previous recording, you were worried about dust getting in your stereo. Um, how about a leather couch? You vacuum it when you're done. 
Yeah. It's going to get grody, but it's not going to break. <laughs> That's true. It wouldn't malfunction. Yeah. Mo- uh, hopefully. I wouldn't sleep on the sleeper anytime soon. That's it's a pullout. Yeah, I but recommend anyway. after you're you're lounging while you uh while you turn get cleaned up and go upstairs to bed. <laughs> yes. Don't stay there. But, you know, that that's that's my little uh little shop. It is About not how many square foot is that? Um what did I figure out? It is roughly 12 by 13. It's about 12 by 13. 12 is the so center it's 156 of the house. square there. feet. There you go. In comparison. Well, my shop is a humongous 205.8 square feet. Having point just done eight. the math. That's, that's important. It's about it's um, about 9 foot 8 by about 21. Is that considering your insulation? Yeah, it was. Okay. It was a little <laughs> it bit. It was bigger. I lost three inches. I lost three inches of the insulation. In the scheme of things, it's not that much. Right. Um, right. But by 21, now that's a nice longer space in, in relation. Mine is not quite. Standard, yes, it is. It is certainly it. for a garage. It is standard depth. It is not a long garage by any mm-hmm. means. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yes, it is certainly longer than your shop. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't, while I am not above criticizing, I don't mean to criticize what I want oh, no. to, what, what I want to do is inspire and show you that you don't need to have that limited toolkit, but you can you can put whatever you want in that space regardless of its size. Um, so for anyone who has seen my YouTube channel, it is almost exclusively shop tours. And there was a l- couple of years when I was running monthly shop tours to document what I had done in the shop during the previous month as I was doing improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, work in the shop. Has essentially stopped. It's not done, but it has stopped for now. So I have not done a shop tour in a while. But if you want to see what I'm talking about, the most recent shop tour is pretty up to date. Um, but when I come in, it's a it's a single car garage. It's attached to the house. Um, we have eliminated the door that connected to the house, so I literally have to walk outside and then through the garage door to get in. Um, I it, I think it makes it fancy because that's the way the West Wing is on the White House. You have to walk outside <laughs> to get into it. So I consider this the West Wing of woodworking. All right. Um, but what the motivation for that was twofold is the room that had the door to the garage became my son's room and I did not want to have to walk through his room to get into the shop. And it also just gives me that much more wall space that's functional in the shop because I don't have to leave a 36-inch wide space open for a door. Okay. Um, you you say that patronizingly, like why would you eliminate the door? But no, uh, no, I, I I totally get it. Okay. No, um, I, I I I my house was built in the situation that you currently have. I cannot go into my garage without going around it. Okay. I've got to leave the back door and go in the back door of the garage, or leave the front door and lift the garage door and go into the garage. That's it. Well, when we insulate your garage, we're going to eliminate that back door. Because it's not serving a functional purpose, we need it to be insulated. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. Before I insulate that, I probably am going to add on to the back of the house where the the intention will be to enter the house through that door that will then be included in the back of the house. Anyway, you can always rip out the insulation, insulate it now. That's true. Um, That's true. So, in any event, as you come in, um. I don't want to give a a shop tour per se, but more talk about the way things are organized. First of all, 
in a small space, there's no reason why you need to give up whatever type of equipment you want. Um, there is plenty of equipment that I don't have in the shop because it's not yet, it's not that stuff that I don't want to work with, but per se, it's, it's not the primary stuff I want to work with. And I do have to be selective in what I fit in here, but what I'm able to fit in the shop in terms of large equipment, uh, for anyone who doesn't know is I have a 16 inch bandsaw. I have a 15 inch planer. I have a contractor style table saw that had 36 inch rails for the fence. And I have cut them down to be 22 inches because I realized that in practice, I'm not cutting things wider than that in the shop anyway. And it was, it was worth losing those couple inches to make the saw that much shorter and take up that much less room. Uh, I have a bench top drill press. I have a kick ass stereo. (laughs) Um, I have a sander cart, which wheels around. The footprint is about, let's say, 18 inches by 26 inches, something like that. Okay. And it holds nine sanders and three grinders, along with a vacuum hose and drawers for all the supplies that kind of floats around the shop. I have uh, my carving bench, which is about 18 inches by 18 inches. Um, if you, if you're at all familiar with Shannon Rogers, uh, the Renaissance woodworkers, uh, carving bench, mm-hmm. his bench is, I believe it's like 26 by 26. It's a little bit bigger than mine and it's a little bit taller and he's got, um, a twin screw vice in the face of it. Uh, mine has a pattern maker's vice in the face of it. It's a little lower than his. Um, it's really just there to support the pattern maker's vice. Uh, I ended up using the bench top itself for a couple things, and it was a nice experiment because the bench top is made from LVLs, so it's basically a primer for making my my future permanent bench out of LVLs or my main bench. Not that this is permanent, my main bench out of LVLs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got that little bench tucked in against a wall that's kind of next to some cabinets behind my table saw. At the back of the shop, I have my main bench, which is a cheap factory-made bench I picked up off Craigslist for like 80 bucks a decade ago. Okay. Um, the problem is it works just well enough that I haven't been motivated to bump building a nice bench ahead in the priority list. Years and years ago, I was hanging out with Aaron Marshall too much and I was all <laughs> ready to do it. And I bought all this hardware and I've not touched it since. Um, but I've got, you know, it's, it's a perfectly feasible bench and I have a, um, a Sojaberg bench top bench that I'll put on top of it sometimes. And I've got all this you know, work holding paraphernalia uh, kicking around. Um, mm-hmm. I have my thing. I have this, I have the same joiner as the Wood Whisperer. Um, oh, just well. move on. <laughs> um, it's, it's the big eight inch power Matic and I fit that in a one car garage with all this other stuff. Um, right now it is a little bit off the wall, but it's another unfinished project as I have wheels and custom welded brackets that are fit underneath it so that the goal is to be able to slide it underneath the outfeed table for my miter saw and pull it out and use it and push it back in. And I'll win like 14 inches of more floor space. If I, once I finally do that, but I've had it for like four years now and I've yet to act, actually put it on these wheels. So it basically just lives on the floor where it is. It's like, I don't know, it's a thousand pounds or something. It's not going to get moved until I, build the wheels for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got 
the the Bosch glide saw built into uh, a permanent bench on the wall. I would not have a shop without a, a permanent miter saw. I firmly believe that a dual compound sliding miter saw has a real space in a cabinet shop. I'm also a homeowner, and it is infinitely useful in just home repair. Uh, mm-hmm. But even in woodworking, I think it is a very valuable tool. I don't understand the guys who kind of dis- dismiss them. And while I love Brian McCauley, I don't understand how he replaced his Bosch with a track saw. He got the nice, fancy uh, Festool one that's got the, the different stops on the track so you can kind of set the angle. It's a nice piece of kit, but it's not the same as an actual miter saw. So um, you couldn't you couldn't pay me to get rid of my miter saw. <laughs> and then coming around next to the miter saw, I have um, what I call the Bastard Dust Collector, but it's a Cyclone Dust Collector that I built myself out of an impeller from an old Dust Boy style dust collector. If anybody's familiar with them, that was a 55-gallon drum with an impeller on the top and a bag off the side. Uh, but it's just the impeller mechanism and the motor. I've got a wind filter, a super dust deputy, and this 35-gallon bucket I got off Amazon. So it's only a 35-gallon capacity. It's fairly small in terms of the amount of dust it holds. When you fill the bucket and it back it uh, it backfills into the cyclone, it makes a bloody freaking mess. Um, so that is a downside. <laughs> But it's about seven foot tall and it takes the, – the rolling cart has a footprint of about 30 inches by 30 inches and then the filter hangs off the side, doesn't quite come down to the ground. The filter's probably another – probably 24 by 24 hanging off the side. Um, so it's not small but for what it is, it's very small and – in this small space, I've got one of the Rockler expanding hoses. I forget what they're called, but it's the it's a five or six inch hose. I think it's a five inch hose, um, and it it expands and contracts very well. And it on the side of the bracket, I just have a, a one by three that sticks up vertically, and I slide the hose over that. And it holds it up nice, and then I have the quick disconnects on my planer, my joiner, my bandsaw, and my table saw, and I just plug it in, and it it works wonderfully. Um, so for, for what it is, I think that it's very efficient in its size. It's kind of big, but once you have real dust collection like that, you wouldn't give it up. Um, yeah, I, that's something, um, I, I don't have all those lovely power tools that you spoke of. So it's not a huge concern for me, a a dust and a, a, a dustbin and a broom does well here. But, um, my dad who has the big power shop, with big, you know, not a big bandsaw, but joiner, planer, table saw. Um, he doesn't, he's got a dust deputy is the best thing he's got oh, right now. No, he needs, I know we've talked about it and he's talked about getting the mobile one. Um, I, I, Oneida, I think has one that's just six, seven feet tall. Yeah. And, and on wheels. Yeah. Oneida um, has a wide variety of them and some of their portable ones seem pretty slick. And, yeah. I'm not going to say that what I built was inexpensive per se, but one, two, fifty. I want to say it was just about six hundred bucks for the whole thing. Oh, that's not but bad. But at the end of the day, it's a two horsepower cyclone with a pleated filter. That's a half. It's like point three micron or whatever. It's a really not. It's a high end filter from Win. Um. I could not have bought something equivalent to this 
for less than probably eight hundred, maybe a thousand dollars. Right. And whatever I bought would probably have taken up more space than this does. Um, and the nice thing about this is I was able to, it wasn't $600 at once. It was $600 over like three years as I bought the components. Right. That's very nice. Um, so just, a, you know, when I would see dust boys on Craigslist, I paid a hundred dollars for it and it was, I ended up giving away the 55 gallon drum. Um, I got, I threw out the bag, like, you know, some of it I didn't use, but, um, I'm quite pleased with it. I'm kind of proud that I built it myself. It works better than I could have hoped. Uh, someday I'll replace it when I have a bigger shop and I upgrade to a more powerful dust collector. But for what it is, as long as I don't need more power, I don't see any reason why I would ever change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I personally recommend that route or you can get a little bit easier. I know lots of people who have done like the Harbor Freight dust collector with the super dust deputy. Um, I know Todd Clippinger is a huge fan of the super dust deputy. That's, that was part of the reason why I got one is after talking to him about his, um, I believe he has a jet or maybe a grizzly dust collector. He had a, a, a formal factory made dust collector that he then converted with the dust deputy to turn it into a cyclone, the super dust deputy. Um, and it, I agree, absolutely agree with him. It works fantastically. Yeah. Um... I have, I have the filter set up so that at the bottom of the filter, there's a 50, there's a five gallon bucket that caps the bottom of the filter. Okay. And um, every once in a while, I'll unscrew that bucket. And as long as I haven't overfilled the main fill and stopped the cyclone action, there's never anything in that. Like the, the, the super dust deputy does a wonderful job at separating. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend that, but there the reason I mention all these things in the shop is just to talk about it. As far as I'm concerned, it comes down to what you prioritize. Um, you know, my my older boys, their bedrooms are right next to the shop. I don't use hand tools because I have a family who wants to sleep. They sleep. Mm-hmm. I use my power tools. That's how I've done it the whole time. I've never heard a complaint from them. I come in the house. They're sound asleep. It's what, what your expectations are. Um, I want to use big tools. I put big tools in a small space. It's um, it's the nature of the space. So my advice would be don't let your space or your conditions dictate the way you work. Work the way you want to work and make make the space submit to the way you want to work. And no, no doubt a big space is better for bigger tools. I don't, I'm not naive, but there's no reason why you need to compromise in the way you work just because of your space. Right. Um, that's it in, well, is it as much about workflow and where things are as opposed to utilizing the space efficiently? I'm going to say no, because in a big space, I would rearrange my tools much differently than they are now because I would arrange them for workflow right now. They're arranged so they fit. And yeah, it's only I, one place I can fit my joiner, so that's where it goes. There's only right. one place I can fit my table saw, so that's where it goes. Like I'm, My layout is based on where they fit in the space, not how I move gracefully from one tool to the next to the next with a piece of wood. Right. And and for me, and I think you're uh, on that end, like even in my space, it's things go where they go. I've got a, I've got a drawer of chisels. I've got a drawer of planes. Mm-hmm. 
if I need them, I go get them and then they get put back. Right. It's not that it is convenient that they're one place or another. And that's a little different for hand tools. I get it. But um, you, you undoubtedly had, if you had twice the space, you could make that flow maybe go a little better where you would, well, actually, well, it, it's the operations of some of your things because of your tight space are a limiting factor, but you're almost set up. If you could cut to length at your, your saw joint turn around and then, you know, or I, you know, at your chop saw, you know, then you joint and then you finish cut on your table saw, your band saws. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some flow to it, but it could be streamlined hit if you would have more space. That's true. But right now the space is so small that it's not like I have to walk across to reach other things. Yeah, so that's true. There's a yeah. certain, the fact, the smaller the space is, the less important flow is, I think. Um, though some of that flow, like I have, you know, my miter saw is permanently built in with a, with a wing on one side. And the wing is a bench right now. Like it's just covered in crap. Um, mm-hmm. So I couldn't cross cut something right now if I wanted to without clearing this whole space. That's a downside to the small shop. Um, if I had a bigger shop, before I worried about flow, the first thing I would do is add more tools, quite frankly. Mm. Um, I fully believe that they will get set up in this shop space, which is why I bought them. Um, but not set up in the shop right now is a full-size router table <laughs> and a Jet 1632 drum sander. Yeah. Um, I've been toying with exactly how they're going to work. I have the the uh, the planar brackets that Andy Klein and uh, the Wood Whisperers sell. Oh, yes. And I have – I don't think it would work, but I have seriously considered putting the drum sander on top of the planer. Um, mm. I think that it might make it too high, but if I could put the drum sander on top of the planer, I think that would be ideal. The drum sander comes on this little like rolling cart, but I – I can't use the rolling cart. It's not efficient use of space. At a minimum, I need to build like cabinets underneath it, but I need to not have 12 foot long slabs taking up most of my space and seriously just stare at the space and figure it out. But I just haven't wanted it enough. Like there's no doubt in my mind that it will all fit in here. I just need to figure out and prioritize and, and get it in here. Um, but some of the things I want to talk about if we could keep talking on this is mm-hmm. some of the, the solutions I've come up with to fit a lot of stuff in the shop. Now my ceiling as an example is almost completely covered in crap. Um, <laughs> the ceiling is an absolutely useful storage space. Don't forget your ceiling. Um, if you have a shop and you don't have stuff hanging from every inch of ceiling, you're not doing it right. Put more stuff up there. As I look up at the ceiling, I have six four-foot fluorescent setups. Each one is two bulbs, um, so it's plenty bright in the shop. If I roll up the garage door, two of those are behind the garage door, but then I get the natural light from the outside, so it's, it usually ends up being a wash. Um, but the shop is plenty bright from that. I have wall-mounted shelves on the three sides, which go up near the ceiling and encroach on the space I could hang things from the ceiling. But then I've got, I've got two speakers for my stereo that are hanging from the, from the ceiling. I have a rack for my, 
I only have about a half dozen of them, but a rack for my pipe clamps hanging from the ceiling. I have my jet air cleaner from the ceiling. And I have this thing that's made to fit above garage doors. I got it at Lowe's. I don't know what you'd really call it, but it's just a wire shelf that's like it's probably four and a half, five foot wide by about five to six feet long. And it, it hangs from the ceiling and the garage door retracts and it's just uh, it's just above the garage door. Um, and I have all sorts of just miscellaneous lumber and Kindorf and copper pipe and PVC trim mm-hmm. stuck on that. And that just stores a lot of miscellaneous wood. And I've got my 18 volt drills and st- any, any 18 volt drill or hammer drill or impact gun that has a belt clip is hanging upside down from it. Cause I can hook the belt clips on it. Oh, what an, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, uh, an led portable shop light that is hanging from it on a custom hanger. I made from a, Hanger, a literal wire hanger. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my shop apron is hanging from that, <laughs> hanging from it. Um, it's just, you know, you squeeze in everything you can. I have draped across that. I have a, a homemade 220-volt extension cord that powers my bandsaw, which is on the – it's on the, uh, the opposite wall of the shop is all my 220 outlets. So I had to run an extension cord and it runs up and over that. So that it doesn't interfere with the garage door, um, it's just a matter of squeezing things in everywhere you can. Like I have, technically, I have three. I have five clamp racks, but I'll say that the parallel clamp racks. So there's three individual ones all in a cluster. Let's call that one. If you call that one, then I only have three clamp racks. But I have clamp racks on the wall. I have an inordinate amount of clamps. Like I'm not. I'm the first person <laughs> to agree that you can never have enough clamps, but. I have I have the clamp racks that inspired Brad Rodriguez to build his clamp rack. Uh, as Damn. far as I am aware, I am the first person to have designed this style. And if I copied somebody, I apologize. But I didn't know of any that were this efficient when I made them. Um, I got to have somewhere in the ballpark of 30 to 40 parallel clamps. Um, and they're all in a corner. And the way you do it is you install – I used uh, five quarter by six sticking out from the wall to about a 12 inch wide depth and they're wide enough that they can catch the top pad of the parallel clamp and you put about two or three inches between them and this clamp slide on and you can get uh that's two four six you can get seven parallel clamps in each of these slots so in a very narrow amount of wall space you get a lot of clamps i used to have woodpeckers makes very nice metal Hanging clamp, hanging clamp racks for the parallel clamps, mm-hmm. um, but they called the parallel clamps, you know, one deep a- along the wall, and it took up a-, a huge amount of wall space. And I was able to hold more parallel clamps in like a third the size with this because they're seven deep. So I've got that in a corner. I've got my original rigid fourteen-inch bandsaw. I replaced the fence with a, uh, I think it was a Craig fence, the, one of the aftermarket fences that Craig makes. Mm-hmm. So the original rails that the original fence ran on were these like five-eighths diameter pipes. So I took a piece of two-by-four and I drilled five-eighths holes and I screwed that to a second piece of two-by-four that didn't have the holes and I drove the pipes through the first piece of two-by-four and screwed the whole thing to the wall so the two pipes stick out. Um, mm. All my quick-grip clamps hang on those pipes. And they stick out on the wall. And the pipes are 
probably 30 inches long and it just sticks 30 inches out from the wall and all the pipes, all the quick grip clamps are hung there. And I want to grab one. I just, I pop it with one hand. I clamp it up. That's a really close rack to my workbench as are the parallel clamps. But with one hand, I can take a quick grip, quick grip clamp off that pipe rack, clamp it on a piece and tighten it with all with one hand because it's the quick grip. With the parallels, I can get it off, but then you still need two hands to set it up. Okay. Um, so that's all near the bench. And then I, <laughs> um, in my old shop, in my old house, I used to use spring clamps a lot, like the little like A-shaped metal spring clamps. Mm-hmm. When you're laminating boards together, especially for like mill work and trim work in a house, you just put one of those like every six inches and it's really good for long, narrow glue-ups. Sure. So I have a ton of them. And I built a similar style rack as the quick grip clamp, but this one is four pipes instead of two. And these pipes stick out probably 24 inches. And each one of the pipes can hold about 22 of those little A uh, spring clamps. So I have two of them lined with 22 of the small spring clamps each. One of them is a combination of different clamps and some of the big spring clamps. And one of them is all my F-style clamps. But it means that every clamp I own is up on the wall, relatively easy to reach out of the way. Like these ones with the spring clamps, it's mounted just above my bandsaw. So I'm not Though they stick two foot out, it only sticks like three inches, four inches out past where my bandsaw is. It's not in the way at all. It's all hot. Because these clamps don't hang down long, the the pipes are only like 12 inches, maybe 14 inches above the top of my bandsaw. And it all just fits in there and tucked underneath there or behind the bandsaw. Maybe not the most successful spot is my fire extinguisher. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know... I, I go through all this. Hopefully somebody can use these clamp designs. I think they're very efficient clamp racks. But the real important thing is you look at your space and you you make what you have fit. It's just about wanting it to work. Yeah. I mean that's that's the end the end game is you know, it don't let the, the space hold you too much. Just work with it and make make things fit as you as they're needed. And it, it helps to not have more than you necessarily need at any one moment too. In mm. like, you know, you've you've acquired things that you know you don't currently require, and so they're they're the leads put on hold. You may squeeze them in at some later date, but as of now, you know they're 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 away. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that is certainly true. And other things. Understand what you use and what you don't. Like if you're a carpenter mm-hmm. out in the field, those Festool boxes are fantastic. But if you're not taking the tools out of your shop, they're a complete waste of space. <laughs> um, I see all these guys who build like these big racks that they pull out and everything's in their case. Build a drawer. Like they're – I don't. I don't appreciate using – the Festool the cases, the sustainers in a shop. I will admit I have two, three, four, I have five of them in my shop right now in the sustainers. I have my track saw and my two, my, uh, my big domino and my little domino in their cases. Um, that's it. All my sanders are in that rack. 
and they take up no space. You know, it's it's so much more efficient to get them out of those big boxes because with the big box, you need a space to store the box. You need a place to open the box. It It's terribly, terribly inefficient. Even if you just build drawers and put the tools in the drawers, you know, a drawer that's one and a half times the sustainer is going to fit two tools. You you win a ton of space. They're not mm-hmm. efficient ways to store the tools if you're not leaving the shop. Again, if you got to go on the road, no problem. You fit the tool, it's accessories, they're nice and safe, they lock together, you keep them all in your truck, you bring out the ones you want, makes complete sense. But for a fixed shop, there are, I, I, I can't say enough bad things about them. <laughs> I, that's that's a good point and something I could probably improve on because that's like my my drills. I've got my old Bosch drill, my new Bosch drills, my intermediate 12-volt Bosch drills. Mm-hmm. I keep them in their cases. Oh, yeah. That's... Um, and what do I do when I need them? I get them out of the case. I lay the case on the floor. I open it up. I get the tool out and I close the case. I put it back and it's, you know. If you want to talk about like cordless drill and even corded drill storage, like mm-hmm. I have mine broken up a bit. Right now, all my chargers are on a, on a shelf that's over by the corner by the garage door. And it's just like, it's probably 18 inches deep by about uh, two and a half foot long, something like that. And it's got one Milwaukee charger, one DeWalt charger, and one Makita charger, which are the three brands of batteries I have in the shop. Okay. Um, it's not particularly sophisticated. It's a little higher than is comfortable to use. I have to kind of reach up above. I can't see it that well because I'm reaching over it to get to it. But it works. I, it is something that needs to be improved. But for now, it was quick and it works. The actual drills, I talked about how there's some that hang from the ceiling because those are the ones with bell clips. But all the other ones, I have a cabin that I made. It was actually – it was featured in Popular Woodworking Magazine mm. in their tools and tricks or shop advice or – it was the section in the front um, back when Carrie was editing that section. Mm. Um, and it's a simple box made out of OSB. It's nothing fancy. And it has five drawers that slide out. But the drawers run vertically. They're like 24 inches tall by about five inches wide. And each drawer has a frame that's also made out of OSB. It's nothing fancy. It's just pocket screwed together. A frame on one side that's skinned in pegboard. So when you pull it out, it's all pegboard. And I have my hand saws. My One is tape. One is hearing protection. Two of them are hand saws. And one of them is power is is cordless drills and and impact guns, and it fits in a space on the wall that's probably thirty inches wide by thirty inches tall. Um, and you just you pull the you pull it out, you grab the tool you need, you slide it back in, and it's it's closed. Um, it's a fairly efficient way to store those things. So I think it's for something like a cordless drill, it is so much better than pulling out a, a case. And using the tool and putting the case away so that you have the counter space available again. Hmm. That's not too shabby. No. I, I, I need to, and I not until honestly you said that. And I've seen other stuff. Like I, you know, how many how many magazine articles have had charging station, you know, plans? I've seen a bunch of them. Yeah. I've never done it. I and, actually have two chargers within reach of me where I sit right now for my old Bosch. 18 volt, the old blue core battery. 
mm-hmm. and then the twelve volt uh, pistol clip kind of battery, different charger, different battery. Um, but they, I, those stay in the cases as I have them, and I plug them in when I need to charge something. Right. Not charge things so they're ready. I get them out of the case, realize, oh shit, I need to charge them, <laughs> and then I, then I charge them. And. A lot of those charging stations are really cool, and some of them are amazingly efficient. But another point I would like to make is, yes, leave your chargers permanently set up somewhere. But where you keep your chargers permanently set up does not need to be where your drills are permanently set up. That's true. You know, um, all the, we talked about, about workflow. You're not changing the battery on your tool all the time. If... No. The home for your drill is three steps away from the home for the charger. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, you can separate them if it's more efficient to, to do that. And for my case, it was. There's no reason why they need to be together. Keeping the chargers permanently set up, there's value in that. I absolutely agree. But do they need to be right next to the drill? Absolutely not. Um, one final thing I want to add about my fitting everything into the shop um, is my miter saw. And I've probably talked about this before, but I have the Bosch 12-inch uh, glide miter saw. Um, I bought it within like a month of it coming out. Um, I fell in love with the design. It is a great, great saw. I highly, highly recommend it. In my opinion, it is more accurate than the Capex at half the price, which still makes it an expensive saw. It's a $700 saw, not a $1,200 saw, which I, I know is not technically half the price, but still a lot cheaper. <laughs> um, but there are a number of things about this saw and about my particular setup that I think make it killer for a small shop. Now, when you're dealing with a miter saw that's permanently set up in a shop, my opinion is that the space you need to deal with is when the saw is swung to the side to its steepest angle. So in the case of this saw, if I swing the saw all the way to the right, I think I get to like a 62 or 63 inch degree angle is the the steepest or the, the sharpest angle I can cut. And why that's important is because that takes the handle that would stick out from the front and slides it along the side. Years ago when we had Matt Vandalist on the show, um, we were kind of ribbing him and going back and forth because he would whack himself on the handle of his miter saw. It was like, well, just store it with it slid to the side. He's like, I can't store it that way. So we went back and forth. Um, But I think the bench needs to be as deep as that saw when the handle is swung all the way to the side. It should be like, you know, flush with the side of the bench. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So there's that. But then the other thing is that the back of your miter saw bench needs to accommodate the rails, which on a lot of saws, most saws stick out well behind the saw. Right. So the two measurements I was looking for when I needed to set up the space. Now, previous to working in this space, I had a Bosch 12-inch miter saw. Really nice saw. I had the older style where the rails were on top of each other rather than next to each other. Um, But Really nice saw, and I would never would have gotten rid of that saw based on its performance only because it was too big. Because that saw 
to have a bench that was deep enough to accommodate the rails. And yet when I swung the saw all the way over to the side, that front handle was behind the face of the bench. I had a 37 inch deep bench. It took four sheets of plywood to make the top of that bench because it was 10 foot long and 37 inches deep and Ooh. two layers wide kind of knit together because it was longer than a piece of plywood. Um, and in my current shop, that's nine foot, eight inches wide. I could not give up 37 inches of depth along an entire wall for a bench. It was just too big. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so when I, it was right about the time I bought this house when Bosch came out with their glide. Eh, not right around this. Maybe it was a year later, but it was when I was finally ready to, to build the bench because my shop, it took me a, a long time, years to get my shop set up because I had to redo all this electric and there were many years when the shop was just a a real mess. Um, but so I was looking at the Capex because the Capex was out and then Bosch came out with theirs and there were the, the measurements that mattered were from the fence to the back of the saw when the saw was at zero degrees. Yes, that's always the worst for those things. Exactly. So I know this This might be hard for some people to believe because the Capex has rails that come to the front and the saw head glides back, uh, slides back and forth on those fence rails. The glide has these arms that kind of unfold. Um, from the fa- face of the fence to the back of the saw, the 12-inch Bosch saw is two inches shallower than the Capex, which is a little bit, excuse me, a little bit over 10 inches. It's a metric size, um, so it's not quite 10, but it's a little bit over 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Bosch is a bigger saw. For the size of the saw, the Capex has wonderful capacity, but the Bosch has more capacity. Um, and I could put the Bosch tighter to the wall because it took up less space behind the fence. So that won me some space. Um, the other thing I did, which anyone can and I believe should do, is I set it against a wall and I framed the wall like a window. So above the saw, there's a header that's supported by um, by jack studs and king studs and you know the way you'd frame out a window. And there's no rafters. There's there's two rafters that are miss or studs. Excuse me. There's two studs that are missing in the wall behind the saw. There's a header above the saw that supports the studs above the saw. And there's what do you call the the framing piece under a window? Is that a sill still or is it something else? A sill still a sill. No, is, is the, it still a oh, sill? Still, still a sill. Yeah, the framing piece, not the sill proper. Oh, I don't know what that is. Well. The framing piece that would I run. Call it a, a, I call it a sill, but I don't know if that's right. The the framing piece that would run a, along the bottom of a window opening. I have one of them in the wall below the saw, and then more studs. The reason I did that, there's no opening in the wall. The plywood sheathing runs straight across. But the reason I did that is because I didn't want to give up the three and a half inches of wall thickness. So. In my case, because the walls are insulated to R40, the walls are seven inches thick, not three and a half. But I didn't want to give up the seven inches. So where the saw is, I have an area that 
the width and height were determined by the saw, by the swing of the saw and the height of the saw. So you have to size it to your saw. But by framing the wall that way, what I did was my normal 7-inch wall, it's R40, behind the saw in this one section, it's only like R7. It's 1-inch foil-faced polyiso instead of 7 inches of non-foil-faced. The reason I went foil-faced is because the foil-faced foil facing is an air barrier and I sealed around the edge of this piece of insulation so it's all airtight. It does compromise the insulating value of the wall a little bit, but it's, you know, it's a trade-off. You got to you got to make compromises. But it lets me take the saw and tuck it into this pocket in the wall. Okay. So I have a 12-inch saw that when it's set to 0 degrees, the back of the saw is about a quarter of an inch off this inside pocket of the wall. It's as tight to the walls I could make it while still giving it enough room to swing. Hmm. Um, so, and then when you swing the handle over to the 66 degrees, it's still, the, the knob of the handle is still behind the face of the bench. So when I had a bench for my old Bosch that could accommodate the saw in this manner, the bench was 37 inches deep. Hmm. By going with the Bosch Glide, by recessing it into the wall in the manner I just described, my current bench is 14 inches deep. A difference. And that's the difference between it working in a one-car garage and it not working in a one-car garage. Um, 14 inches, I can make that work. And I specifically mounted it high so that I would be able to slide my joiner underneath it. Um. So those are the kind of things you need to do to, to really pack, in my case, what I want, big equipment, into a small space. And hopefully that all just reinforces my point of put what you want in and make it work. Don't let the space dictate what you want to do. Let what you want to do and how you want to do it dictate how the space is set up. There's no shame in spending the first year or two of your shop getting the shop set up. You know, it was, I was probably in this house three or four years before I had insulation and sheathing on the exterior wall. There was a couple of years I ran the whole shop off one 15 amp outlet. Um, so you, you know, do what you have to do. Invest in the shop. The shop is a tool. Invest mm-hmm. in the shop to, to let it uh, support what you want in terms of tool and workflow. Yeah, I'm I'm still in that boat. Uh, power wise, I run off an extension cord, off of one outlet. Mm-hmm. That's somewhere midway in my basement. But I mind mind you, I'm not running again. Big things, but if I'm charging something, I'm charging it. That's it. You know, yeah. drag the cord over to there. It's the same cord I have my computer on while I record this right now. <laughs> I used to not be able to run my planer and my dust collector. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> too much for and it. And at the time, it was the Dewalt. 13 inch lunchbox and a shop vac, but I could not have them both running at the same time. Jeez. Um, but you know, and, and when the, when I would break the fuse, the lights would go out and which was, which was delightful. (laughs) Um, but it's what you do. Like I said, the shop is a tool right now. I have three 20 amp one ten circuits in the shop. The lights are on the old 15 amp circuit. So if I blow every fuse in the shop, the lights still stay on. Um, 
and I have three 220, 240 volt circuits because I wanted three. Uh, you know, one of them isn't even really, it just, it's buried in the wall and I haven't connected it to anything yet, but I was running wire in the wall. Why not? There's ultimately the, the breakers are not terribly expensive. So put an extra circuit in. What does it matter? Um, the shop's a tool, it, you know, it's not the final thing. It's not the point of this. Well, if your shop is what you want to make, then the point of this is your shop. For me, the shop is just another tool to make the things I want to make. But you know, you you got to invest in the shop to allow you to make what you want to make. Absolutely. So we shall do that, and I'll be done by next year. <laughs> Never. I yeah. What I didn't mention in my quick audio tour was my bench, which if you can hear that is a door on sawhorses. Oh, I thought so, that the the multiple layers of plywood on top of the cabinet that was your bench. You're, that's that is not- a that has been used as a bench. It can be used as a bench. It in fact it has dog holes in it. Oh, um, because I've I've planed on that and I've I've done a I've sharpened on that. I've but. I also have an old door that takes up the rest of the space. Solid well. core, I'm assuming. It is not. It's hollow core. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's terrible. It's flat-ish. All right. So when you come out to – when you bring your door out to my house so you can use my track saw to cut it. Yes. Um, do that in some number of years after I've built my permanent bench or maybe do it now and take – the bench I have, like I said, it's nothing to write home about, but it is better than what you have. Yeah, um, you bet it. <laughs> and if I didn't have a bench, I might be more motivated to build one. So, you know, come, oh, just there come you take go. it. Yeah. Twofold. No, I, I've I've wanted for a long time to build one. I, and that's one of those things, talking about your, your shop being a tool, your bench is an important tool in oh, that absolutely. shop. And, uh, From what I've I heard, would, it's not a rite of passage. It's a tool. No, it's a tool. That's correct. Wise men have said such. Um, but yeah, that, that needs to be done and that'll, that'll honestly, that'll help. Cause I, you know, the, the storage that will be available with that thing will be more places for things to go. And okay. Let me ask you about that. Go. Um, will the bench be, you know, will you do like a shaker style, not necessarily in the, in the work holding, but in the fact that the bottom will be all cabinets? No, no. I actually hate that idea. Okay. Um, no, I'm good with a shelf, um, and, or maybe maybe even an enclosed some enclosed area. But that whole that whole idea of the shaker thing, where it is a bank of drawers that f- basically fill the space between the legs underneath. I just I don't know why, but that bugs me. I I agree with you. Um, there are many design principles on which I divert from Christopher Shores. <laughs> okay. Um, most of his designs are just fine. Uh, occasionally, there's one that's butt ugly, but most of them are are absolutely fine. Just not my personal taste. Um, but he makes in his first workbench book, he talks about how you shouldn't have drawers under the bench because it prohibits certain forms of clamping. And as I look at my bench now, the crappy little bench I have has a shelf underneath it. And there's a big Tupperware container filled with all sorts of bench hardware that I picked up over the years slid under the bench. Mm-hmm. And that Tupperware container is about an inch from the from the bottom of the top of the bench. So there's not a lot of space there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in my working, I can't say that's ever actually gotten in the way of clamping. Um, so I don't know that in practice, the way I work, if I had permanent drawers in there, it would actually be in the way. But I have taken what Chris said to heart. And when I build a bench, it will not have under bench storage. It'll just have a shelf there. It won't have drawers or cabinets or anything. Maybe at some point down the road, I decide I need to retrofit it uh, because it is such a small space. And if I could have more drawers, that'd be great. But I'm completely with you that leave the bottom of it open, put a shelf there and and don't put a whole bunch of drawers permanently fixed in there. Yeah, I, it, I just, yeah, I, clamping is a great reason um knocking your knees on things mm. if you're you're working in a way that that's i mean not that you're gonna step underneath your your bench at any moment but um i just i just see it, it it's it's in the way vis- visually and physically in certain aspects it's just that that kind of thing i'm i'm more of the elephant trunk or elephant leg stout just freestanding bench i like the idea of like a 21st century bench that you know uh what rob bowes built you know that that's those are very nice something like that is yeah is where I'm um going. kyle has a 21st century bench, oh yes he does yes he does yeah. so yeah that's 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 on there that's that'll be the next well no it won't be it will not no, be the next it step. won't be the next but no It'll be a step in, uh, in the ever-evolving shop of mine. I, yeah, I like the 21st century bench too. I think mine will be something of a hybrid between that and the traditional Rubo. I will certainly not make one of the more modern style Rubos with the uh, the tenon and the dovetail that come up into the top of the bench. Um, I that's, that's just not the way I'm going to make the bench. Uh, right. But – I don't know that I have this – I certainly do not have the space for the full-size 21st century bench as Bob Lang originally built it. Right. But I am intrigued for construction reasons and usage reasons. I'm very intrigued by the split-top design. And personally, I fall in favor of a tool tray. And I like the idea of having the removable tool trays down the middle. Um so I will second what you said about the 21st century bench. I think it's a very interesting, intriguing design that I'm certainly going to copy some parts of. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Well, there you go. Have we exhausted that or at least well, – I hope we have in inspired more than exhausted. Yes, um, I guess it's not. But yeah, so – uh, you know, we'd be interested to hear how people fit things into their shop. Please let us know. Um, and uh, And – just understand that whatever you have and want, you can fit it into your shop. So go for it. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to our fortnightly beer choice. And I hesitate when I say that because, yet again, I don't have a beer. <laughs> I have – who sang the song? I don't remember now. UB40. UB40. Thank you. Red, red wine. Be it from a box or a bottle. <laughs> Red wine. Is, is the box can... part in the song? Uh, no, it's not. I don't believe so. <laughs> uh, I believe it's something about making you feel fine uh, all of the time. Okay. Red, red wine. But no. Um, oh. I'm going to stay a little 
more uh, traditional in that I am actually choosing a beer. Mm-hmm. However, I am going out on a limb here and doing something I've never done before. I am going to recommend not only a beer that I've never tried, <laughs> but a beer that as of this recording has never been released. You. I know. Um, Six Points is a uh, somewhat local brewery. They are in uh, in Six Points in Brooklyn. And they make some really good beers, some beers that are okay. They don't make anything as bad. Um, some of them are phenomenal. Some of them are just okay. Uh, but they have started this relatively recent production of uh, single-release beers, as a lot of the microbreweries have started to do. Mm-hmm. And I know of microbreweries up in uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts where they'll do single-day releases. And if you're not online like four hours before the brewery opens, you don't get it. Um, really limited releases. And I have a brother-in-law who has gone up to Massachusetts on multiple occasions and not been able to get the beer he drove up there to get. It's, I think it's a little anti-consumer, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, what Six Points does is they have an app. <laughs> and when they when their limited release cans go on sale, such as last Tuesday at noon, through the app, you can buy them. So last Tuesday at noon... I bought three six-packs. Um, this coming Saturday, they will have what they call a release, a release party where they have like, uh, I don't know, hors d'oeuvres and music and an event at the brewery where people can go and pick it up. But for people who don't want to drive into Brooklyn on a Saturday, you can go in on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday and get your beer. Mm. So on Tuesday, I'll be picking mine up. Um, but that's it. If you didn't, If you didn't buy the pre-release through the app, you don't get any. Um, so that's a long way of saying what I'm recommending is the six point party hat. Now, party hat, the description is fascinating and it might be terrible or it could be (laughs) awesome. I really don't know, but they're going out on a limb and I'm going to give them props for that. What party hat is, is apparently it's an incredibly hoppy IPA with zero IBUs. Zero. Zero. It, they've rated it. It rates as zero IBUs. Which, as far as I know, is um, water. Yeah. So it, what they describe it, um, how about an IPA that's just the fun part? No IBUs, no bitterness, just waves of tropical hop character from all galaxy hops that come flying out of the can like a party popper. <laughs> Um, so that is six points party hat, New England style IPA. Now, New England style IPAs are certainly very hoppy, but they're also a little bit bitter. So I don't know how this is going to work. I'm very intrigued. I'm excited to try it. It might work. It might not work, but what the hell? Let's try. Yeah. I'm interested to see what it's like. I, I look forward to your tasting and opinion. Uh, I, I will share on it. Yeah. Excellent. So with that, that just about wraps up this show. Uh, If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show on iTunes or on Google Play Music. Uh, Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. There you'll never – there you'll (laughs) – you'll be sure to never miss any of our exciting episodes. While you're there, leave us a review. Thumbs up. You know, we've both said this now so many times. 
It's... And the last episode, I can't believe how badly I butchered it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't do so well yourself there, big guy. No. Um, <laughs> no. It's harder than it looks. <laughs> and you can tell we do it live. Yeah. Um, live right to the digital recorder. Yep. So thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association. If you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You could like the MWA on Facebook, or you can follow the MWA on Instagram at MWA underscore national. Underscore, no, M- no. Uh, podcast. MWA underscore podcast. Excuse me. Yes. I was confusing our Twitter handles and our Instagram handles, and mm-hmm. I should not do that. Um, mm. But you can follow us on Twitter at MWA underscore national or Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And we should probably make it the same for consistency's sake, but at this point we haven't. So please just follow us in both places. Absolutely. So I uh, am Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. I am at Sean W 78 on most social medias and uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. I am Diami Plotke at penultimatewoodshop.com at modernwoodworkassociation.com. I am not at the party at Sean's house right now. Nope. Um, you didn't hear that. But I am on Twitter at Diami Plotke and uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and uh, most other places as well. So with that, um, take your shop, cut about two thirds of the size out of it, buy some more tools, <laughs> squeeze them all in and go make something cool. Absolutely.